0: it's Sarah Archer, and you're listening to episode 13 of the Speaking Club Podcast. It's another TED-themed month, and I keep upsetting my dog, Ted, because I say TED Talk and he thinks we're going out for a walk, which means dogs don't know consonants. Anyway, let's crack on. Welcome to the Speaking Club Podcast, because making them laugh is the secret sauce to your speaking, pitching, and business success. And now your host, Sarah Archer. Hi, and welcome to the show. And I am so chuffed to have Ola Kamodi on this week's show. Ola is a journalist and a broadcaster, and author of the book *Perform as a Leader*. She's also an entrepreneur, a speaker, and a TEDx talk organizer. She's a busy woman. She's a brilliant trainer, speaks all over the world, and she's worked with some of the most influential people in Ireland. And today I'm going to try and prize as many speaking tips out of her as I can and also get the lowdown on becoming a TEDx speaker and how it all works. So, better get on with it. Ola thank you so much for making time to come on the show. I know how in demand you are. So we met quite recently when I was speaking at TEDx TEDxDrochida. I always struggle saying that, right? you correct me if I'm wrong with that one. And and not oh, yeah. only were you um, on the panel selecting the speakers, but you also spent a day with all of the speakers giving them tips and coaching and helping to get their message honed. And, and I've got to be completely honest, I wasn't sure that I was going to pick up much that day that I didn't already know, but it was brilliant. And I got some smashing insights that I hadn't come across before, and I knew that I had to get you on the show. <laughs> um, so there's lots I want to cover off with you, but I wanted to start with your own journey into speaking. How, how did that happen? Because you have a different background to speaking originally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was a television journalist, I worked for the Irish national broadcaster RTE, I was a, a news reporter for a good number of years and I had my children at that time as well so that was in the the 90s throughout the 90s I was a political reporter I I did some foreign reporting I did the full range of reporting so after I had my children I wanted to do something a little different I wanted to do something that I could manage because I had four under five but also at that time I had set up a business with my husband in communications coaching and consulting so he kind of was managing it while I was full time with the, the television station, but I was doing bits and pieces. And then when I decided the time had come to go out on my own, I spent uh, a couple of years, really, my kids were small. So I spent a few years at home full time with my children, but I was also starting to work in the business. I started a half day a week and a full day a week and two days a week. And eventually then when the children were up and running, I was full time in the business. So what we do is we work with leadership teams across big business, small business, every type of of background really. And we help coach and develop those teams in their leadership qualities that sort of gravitas we hear people talk about or executive presence, the elusive executive presence that everybody's looking for. So what we do is we put some coaching and training and development around them to achieve that. And it's very much in the communication space. So it's public speaking, negotiating, coaching your teams, pitching for business, running an effective meeting, chairing a meeting. And I call those the frontline performance pieces, the places where you turn up and show up or not, as the case may be. And uh, that, that's what I've been doing for many years. So then speaking coaching is that.
0: Excellent. But you're also a speaker yourself and an MC as well, aren't you?
1: Yes, I do a lot of MCing of conferences here in Ireland, and I've done some overseas as well, where you want a chair who will run your event smoothly and kind of link the different speakers. There's nothing worse than a chair who says, Thank you very much for speaking Sarah and my next speaker will talk about and there's no give so really the purpose of the chair is to kind of maybe sum up what the speaker has take out some insight that maybe the audience wouldn't have thought of and then link that seamlessly to the next speaker and have a little bit of a a wrap with the audience as well so that everybody feels nice and relaxed and at the end of the day they think the conference was very united it wasn't just a series of disjointed speakers they go away feeling ah there was a great theme to that conference wasn't it everything was linked that's down to a good chair. Brilliant. And did you find it an easy
0: transition from broadcasting to speaking?
1: Yes, funnily enough. um, Obviously, when I started speaking, it's quite different to broadcasting in that broadcasting is in the moment. It's very much responding to some information you've just gathered five minutes earlier and you're doing a stand up outside the House, of Parliament or whatever, and you're giving back this information. You don't have to remember it or take it away with you. Whereas with speaking, it's very much about developing good material and good content. So maybe in the first few instances, I would have had no difficulty with working with an audience because I, was, I kind of felt comfortable with that. But I suppose I had to be comfortable about my material and I had to develop good quality material. And that took maybe a while. But it seems to have been so much of my material seemed to have been just logic and common sense. It came to me quite readily, I think. Um, and now at this point you know 15 20 years on it sort of flows very readily I still always put a lot of preparation into a talk I'm giving but it really is more topping and tailing the material to suit that audience because some of my material is is useful in a number of different ways or with a number of different audiences
0: brilliant and and um, you also wrote a book perform as a leader which I wanted to touch on and there's some some coaching speaking coaching in that as well isn't there
1: Yes, well, I sort of I felt that I had to gather up all of this material that I had. As I said, I've been developing a lot of really good material over over the years, and I felt that, well, I can't actually stand in front of every audience. I can't actually meet every group who might want to learn this. And I felt it was really good stuff, and I said I need to share this. So I put the book together called Perform as a Leader, and it is very much about that performance piece, as I said but then I break it down into different chapters. So it's a how-to reference guide, if you like, to people. I know people who've bought my book tell me they keep it on their shelf and they take it down when they're coming up to that big pitch. <laughs> You're looking for some new business and they really have an important pitch in front of a client. They pick, to, pick down the book again and refresh on the chapter on pitching. Or when they have a big coaching session coming up with a team member who needs a lot of support, they reference the, the, the chapter on coaching. When they're making a speech, they reference the chapter on presenting in public speaking. If they're going to do a media interview, for example, on behalf of your business or your organization, if you're the person going to be in front of the cameras, and obviously that's where my all my uh, sort of coaching came from originally, it came from my understanding of the media. So people who then have a big media pe- appearance may take down the book and read the media chapter on getting ready for that media interview to be concise and to the point and above all memorable, because it's about being memorable, I think, every time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm mean, i going to link uh, to Ola's book in the show notes so uh, people can have a look at that. And how did you come to do a TEDx talk? Because I know you've done your own TEDx talk. How did you, what, what was the thinking behind that? How did you come to do it?
1: Well, I've actually done two. The first one I did was TEDx Tala four or five years ago. And it was uh, one of the first independently run TEDx events in the country. Tala is a big um sub-city west of Dublin and they the Tala Library is a very vibrant community hub and they were one of the first people in the country to apply for and get the TEDx franchise and then they advertised for speakers and you had to send a clip of you speaking to be selected. So I uh, saw this just advertised online or somebody pointed it out to me and I said, oh, you know, I'll give that a go. So I went and I did. And my first talk was about my, my concept was find a customer and not a job because those young people, the four under five I had are now young adults. They're all in their late teens, early 20s. And, you know, you inevitably find yourself saying to them, go out and get a job, young man, go out and get a job, young woman. And I said, why do we say that to them? Why don't we tell them find a customer? because if you can make or build or draw or design or cook or grow anything and somebody wants to buy it, well, you know what, you're in business or even consult or advise. So there's so many ways young people can look at finding a customer to doing the thing they love best rather than finding a job. So it was very much an entrepreneurial message I had and I wanted that to get across on TED. And then a couple of years later, I was invited by my former university, Dublin City University, because they now had the uh, franchise for a TEDx and I went and I did a talk there and I did one on an exercise called Family Forum and it is uh, an exercise that came out of the Entrepreneurs' Organization, which I'm a member of, a worldwide international organization. But I was this method of kind of communicating in forum with your business peers. But I turned this into a family exercise where you could actually find a way of getting those teenagers to talk to you, oh, which wow. I felt would be very helpful to people. So I put up, I did a talk called Family Forum with the the TEDx um, in DCU. So that was my involvement in TED, originally myself as a speaker. And then um, I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to bring it to my hometown, which is Drogheda in the northeast of Ireland. So I spoke to a few people in the Mail enterprise center and we put a committee together and we said, let's get Ted up and running in Drogheda. And the Mail enterprise center um, was very, very supportive and loved the idea and said they would come on board. And in fact, the administrator there, Anna Curtis, that was very key in making it all happen. I could have the idea and put a committee together, but it needs somebody to put all the nuts and bolts in place. And Anna was a wonderful trooper who did that. So the first one was last year and it went down very well. And we had our second one this year. So it looks like it's now established and hopefully it'll be an annual event.
0: That's brilliant. And how did you the first two TED Talks you did how did you decide on the theme of those talks was it something that you came up with or was it linked to to the theme of the TEDx uh, event
1: well the first ones I did personally you were given a theme and and it's a very loose theme and you can interpret it quite well or in 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 any way you wish yourself but then the two we organized in draw the same thing we found a theme but it's an umbrella theme and, and it's What's wonderful about TED is that you put together this theme and then you find an amazing, eclectic group of people who interpret it in such completely different ways. As you know yourself, you were a speaker this year yourself with us in Drogheda and everybody's interpretation of the same theme was so different. That's what makes it so interesting.
0: Yeah, it was brilliant. And there's a lot of people out there that think you have to be a professional speaker to do a TEDx talk. but But that's not true, is it?
1: It's not true. But yet I will suggest that a lot of people who put themselves forward for a TED are usually people who have a level of comfort on their feet. They're usually people who are maybe from a teaching or a lecturing background or a coaching or a training. They're often people who have some level of experience of standing in front of a room full of people. You will find that inevitably. There will always be those who just want to give it a go because it's a bar, a personal bar. They want to hop over themselves (laughs) or it's a personal. List challenge they have set themselves, but I, I find that a lot of them have some basic level of comfort, but. You know, it's a, it's a very specific format, speaking for TED. It's quite different to coaching or training or, or, or teaching. So it's very much on the clock. You know yourself. Your messaging has to be very succinct. You have to tell a story. You have to engage your audience. And, and it's very much a televised event, as we know. So it has to translate well to that wider audience, wherever they might be around the world. So it's somebody who understands that. In our case, in Drahada, because I love the TED concept and I enjoyed doing it myself. And my piece of personal give back, if you like, was to run the coaching session you, met, you mentioned. So I've run a coaching, a one-day training workshop for our short list of speakers in order that everybody really feels comfortable on the day and in order that it brings out the best in them. When I did the first TED myself in, in, in Tala, I mean, I'm a speaker coach and I've been doing this all my life. But again, Ted Tala had a speaker coach, Porik Highland, who's a wonderful coach. And I was so thrilled to be working with somebody else because although you may teach it yourself and you may, may know it, in that instance, you're just another speaker and you need feedback and you need somebody to say, no, you need to change that. You could do that better. So I was thrilled to work with that speaker coach and I learned so much from him. So I feel that I can do the same. Um, and you're a speaker coach yourself and you know that it, you need feedback back yourself too and it's good to get that so any opportunity you get to, to work with somebody you're going to take it.
0: No I absolutely loved it I mean it's it's you still have blind spots I mean you still you know there's things that still you can learn and I never forget that Chinese proverb about an empty cup um, if you go in with your you know your cup full and you don't think you can learn anything you know there's there's no point so I, I got some great insights and you had a lovely um training style it was um it's friendly but you don't you don't pull any punches and i i know i noticed uh, on the video on your web page for instance you you, you made a, a comment if people are zoning out of your talk it's not that they're rude people it's perhaps that you haven't engaged them and then, and there was a story along with that and i wondered if that's something you'd be happy to share
1: Indeed, yes. I was um yeah, I was chairing a conference and there was a lovely speaker and she's very well known and she's very well regarded and she's a slightly older lady, so there'd be a lot of tolerance for her, and she's got great credibility in her, her own area. But she began making a speech and the speech was written out longhand on these fool's cap size pages. So she started reading out her speech and you know we'd agreed to set time, I think it was fifteen minutes, and i I am a stickler for time when I'm chairing because I think if a speaker goes on longer, they're stealing time from the next speaker, and that's just discourteous. if you've been invited to speak for fifteen minutes, you should speak for fifteen minutes. If you've been invited to speak for thirty minutes, you should speak for thirty minutes. I think it's just a big basic rule, but sometimes people feel they have so much to say and they just want to and I understand that, but at the same time, you really should stick to the brief you've been given. But this particular lady read out her page, read out her next page, read out her next page. It came to the 15 minutes and there was no sign of her wrapping up. (laughs) I gave her her a minute's grace. And then I tinkled the glass and I signaled to her, your time is up. And she nodded at me and smiled at me. And she read out the next page and the next page and the next page. (laughs) And I signaled again to her, I'm saying, your time is up. We really must wrap up now and go to the next speaker. And she smiled and nodded at me and read out the next page and the next page. (laughs) No ability to sum up what she was saying and finish. Her time was up and she kept reading and reading and reading. And the people in the audience, you could see them just snoring at this point dying on their feet they're all on their mobiles they're all shifting uncomfortably in this week it was coming up to the break they all needed their break and I thought that sort of blindness to your audience and blindness to the organizers of an event is, is very unfortunate put it that way
0: yeah absolutely and and I think there's a you know you you say as well that it's about giving insight rather than information and I think that's a really, really strong tip for people who are doing a TED Talk or, or whatever whatever type of speech that they're doing.
1: I think so. I think we're moving to the age of um, the insightful expert because knowledge can be got anywhere nowadays. Knowledge can be got we can google we can find it out so you look at the professions like the law profession for example the best lawyer in the past was the one who had the tallest forehead and the one who could stuff the most information in there and regurgitate it as required but that's not going to be the measure of a brilliant lawyer going into the future the professions are changing hugely the best lawyer is the one who's going to communicate and negotiate and lead the one who is going to have insight, not information. We can Google and get the piece of law now, the reference that you know, in the past was only available in the head of this brilliant person. Now we can find it. What we want is to understand it. And that's where expertise is going to be. And that shift in the professions is going to be profound. It's coming towards us at a rate of knots. It's the same with the medical profession. I was chairing a conference yesterday or on Saturday for a a medical group here in Dublin. And, you know, I was saying that to them. I was saying, you know, you studied for 12 years to become a consultant because you are the person with the knowledge but your expertise or your or your success in the world of consultancy now going forward is going to be much more about how you how you actually communicate with your patient, with the hospital management board, with the SARS in the hospital who will limit your budgets and limit your staff and limit your ability to perform. All that wonderful information that you spent years learning. So, they, I'm teaching them communication skills because that is what's going to actually make the difference between their success or failure going into the future. And that's a really interesting dynamic that's coming at, at us. And it's a byproduct of the digital age we live in. But I think a lot of the professions haven't woken up to this. They need to learn to communicate much more effectively than they have done in the past as well in
0: terms of um, a vehicle for that insight I'm a massive advocate of storytelling and I know that you are too Um, and I think stories are a great vehicle for people to uh, engage in terms of emotionally connecting with the insight that you're delivering I think think that you agree with that yeah
1: absolutely because I think um, storytelling is the highest level of communication there is because It does everything for us. It it sort of allows us to be warm and personable. It allows us to be memorable. It allows the audience to really engage and stay interested. It allows us to do so many things in the example-driven or story-driven communication. But unfortunately, inexperienced speakers haven't the confidence to do it because they think it sounds too folksy. They think it sounds too low level. And if I'm the professor of XYZ, I need to be showing people that I am the professor of XYZ every time I open my mouth. Yeah. And every sentence I utter has to be full of my importance. And all you're doing is alienating your audience completely. You have to be confident that yes, you're the professor of whatever, you know what, that's fine. That's a given, that's terrific. But now let's communicate on a way that people understand. And I think that's where we have to sort of get into. And I mean, life is much more informal than it used to be. So we expected certain informality. In, in speaking. And I think, you know, the best way you speak is the, the way you speak every single day of your life. There isn't a better version of you that you can suddenly pull out of the box and put up on the podium on the day. I hate to tell you, there isn't a better version of you. <laughs> the you work every day, that's the best you. So put that one on the stage, not this other person who's trying to actually speak in this different or much more formal way. And I mean, obviously there has to You don't use bad language or you you can't use slang or or language that people are are, are not going to understand. You know, I'm Irish and we have a lot of idioms that we use in everyday conversation that I have to be a little bit careful about with an international audience because they just won't understand them. But I don't try and stop myself saying them. If I say them, I kind of qualify it immediately afterwards because if I try and stop my communication, I block myself down. So I don't try and stop it. But if I hear myself saying one, I say, oh, what I mean by that is, and I just allow my audience catch up and then I move on. But I think we have to find a way that is, yes, that's story driven, that is personal. But again, another reason why people aren't terribly personal on a platform is because it feels quite vulnerable the first few times you do it. And people don't want to be vulnerable. But I say, you know, vulnerability is your probably most attractive trait because, again, that connects the audience with you. You're not presenting yourself there as the greatest living expert on the topic you're saying here's what my experience of this topic has been here's my insight like this is what i think And um, you will have your own views on it but that's a kind of a vulnerability as i said that some people are not comfortable with showing but i think they should because i think it's the way you reach your audience
0: i uh, think you're, you're absolutely right there i think um the 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 actually the sometimes the ted talks that where people show their most vulnerability are the ones that people want to watch over and over again because there is that connection but um i i noticed you talked about you know talking naturally now as as a comic you learn to write as you would speak it's something you really have to work on now i still struggle we know my ted talk when we came on that coaching day was very flowery and i (laughs) had to make it quite quite some editing between that and the actual day itself um but you make a big distinction between the oral and the aural and the written word in terms of the way you present things to people
1: yes and that's again a classic mistake that presenters make they write a speech and they try to deliver it the same way and a lot of us come from an academic background where we were taught to present our information in a very particular way when we're writing. And there's no harm in that. Write your speech that way if that's how you get it out of your head. But then you have to stand up and deliver it and delivering it is a completely different thing. If you read out that speech like my friend did at that conference, It just sounds so flat and da 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 -da. We can't help it. We go into that tone that sends everybody in the audience to sleep. And then we look down at this audience and they're all nodding off or they're on their mobile phones and we're wondering what we did wrong. But we actually sent them to sleep with our delivery because we were trying to deliver something that was for the written word. And we have to turn our speech around and make it a conversation with the audience you have to have a conversation and you have to find the skill and the method to do that or you're going to lose the opportunity and and back to the point about um being vulnerable and sharing some of your personal information this is another question i get asked an awful lot and you know if i share my personal information i'm just talking about myself and you know it's really it's it's a terrible thing to do as a speaker to keep talking about yourself You use yourself and a little story to make a point. You don't talk about yourself. I was at a conference last week where I was one of three female speakers and uh, women are dreadful at doing this. I don't know why, but I, (laughs) lot of speaking on the women in business circuit, and women in business are the worst for doing this. So you have some well-known woman, woman who runs a business, a great business, and she's a great woman, and she's invited to speak at this women in business networking event or whatever, and she's invited and told, "Tell us your story," and she interprets that literally, and she stands up and she speaks for half an hour telling her story. I listened to one last week, and it was—I mean, she was a lovely woman, and she had a nice way of presenting. But she was just talking about herself for a half an hour and you see the puzzlement in the audience and they're going, and your point is, and your point is, whereas she should have, when you're asked to tell your story, what you're really being asked to tell is what you learned on the journey in order that the people in the audience can apply that to their business. So I was the same. I was the speaker asked to tell my story. I actually didn't at all. I touched on it here or there throughout my speech, but I was actually giving learning points. So you might, you know, to to an audience, because an audience comes to those events to go away with takeaways to learn. But I was said I was I was tickled at this woman who was a lovely woman. But just here I am doing this and slide went up and here I am doing that and here's my business and here's my family and here's my holidays and here's my it was extraordinary.
0: It is, it is a big, I mean, I've, I've, I've said this before, <clears throat> excuse me, about women speakers and I'm, some people do treat it like it's a therapy session. And I've seen an, one, I remember was about a big conference and she had some very good points about business. And then for some reason in the middle of it like completely out of nowhere she threw in the fact that she'd you know been sexually assaulted and just the audience just completely it was just baffling why why you would do that so I think I think that's a really key point you know it's using it's to illustrate it's not about you it's a vehicle to get the point across and I think that's and and it's a
1: vehicle to show a little bit about yourself so that they connect with you so you say you're a mom oh good yeah that's great I'm a mom too they connect with that or you say you know you you struggle uh doing the grocery shopping every week you can't stand it it just takes so much time whatever whatever little glimpse of your personal life that makes everyone in the audience nod and smile because they're saying, oh yeah it's the same for me but there's a point to it what you're saying is struggling with the grocery shopping is we all juggle or we're trying to juggle all the different things we have to do in our lives so there's a message you're coming to by using that little vignette you're not throwing it in there because you need to get it off your chest you know there's a difference reason yeah exactly great
0: um so one one final thing I was going to say have you got any tips you know say your top tips for people that want to do a TEDx talk in terms of applying and in terms of delivery just in a sort of nutshell
1: okay well the first thing is in in very often in TEDx talks well the first thing is apply do apply yeah (laughs) put your Ring! If you're not in, you can't win. So put your name in the ring, apply. And very often there is a one minute or two minute little video you have to download. And the reason for that is so the organizers can get a sense of you, what your idea is and how you communicate. So keep it really simple. Just, you know, prop up your iPhone and talk into it as if you're having a conversation with somebody. You say, hi, I'd love to talk about and have your topic ready, and why it's important to you, and pick a topic that really matters to you. You know, the most fluid and smooth talk you can give will be the one about a topic that you care hugely about. You can't learn something, or pretend you like something, or try to come up with a talk that's going to suit their theme, if you don't don't know anything about this. You must love it, care about it, really want to talk about it, really have an idea worth spreading. You really want to get that message across to the public for whatever reason your background is. And that will give you the fluency to talk into that microphone or talk into that iPhone and say, OK, here's the talk I want to give. Here's why I want to give it. I think your audience are going to be really interested in it for the following reasons. And if you're really enthusiastic and make great eye contact, you you, you have a good chance of being picked. And then Brilliant. you have to go away and work on your talk. <laughs> and hopefully, Brilliant. hopefully they'll put a, a speaker coach around you to help you as well
0: exactly exactly brilliant and there's a couple of standard questions I ask people before we wrap up what's the best thing speaking's done for you
1: what's the best thing speaking has done for you I suppose it's given me the opportunity to meet amazing people and to travel to some amazing places I've spoken at conferences all over the States, in Bangkok, in Dubai, in Canada. You know, it's just given me an opportunity to travel places I wouldn't have otherwise gone and to meet amazing people there and then to share some good ideas. And, you know, when you have got strong ideas, you do want to share them.
0: Absolutely. And then the worst thing, perhaps (laughs) your biggest blooper, if you've got one.
1: I have a to blooper, touch wood, I haven't Sort of fallen over or, or, or done anything mad on the stage. I suppose the worst part is um, the anxiety. You know, I'd be a liar if I said, no matter how experienced you are in speaking, you don't get worked up before giving a talk in front of a few thousand people. You do. But I've tried to learn to manage all that anxiety and turn it into performance energy and allow it be the thing that gives me the edge and gives me the, the, the extra bit of oomph on the day. But we all have to manage and learn to manage that that anxiety, that, um, you know, the adrenaline rush that floods your body before you speak and to learn to work with it. So and, and no matter how experienced you get, it never goes away. You always have it. You always wake up in the middle of the night the night before wondering are you ready, wondering are you organized. That's just part of it and you have to accept it.
0: Brilliant. The last question I wanted to ask you was... um. There's a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and he has a sort of a mastermind group and I wanted to ask ask all my guests if you had anyone in history fictional non-fictional that you would choose to be one of uh, three mentors who would you choose
1: Oh I'd love to have Barack Obama as my mentor <laughs> he's Oh <so> cool <laughs> and Michelle Michelle is, is so cool I mean they are just they're such a power couple I, I just admire them hugely um, I thought they handled themselves in office with such dignity, with such style, with such grace, and both incredible speakers, both wonderful and incredible. They do all of the things I've been describing. They're natural, they're themselves, they have good messaging, good takeaways, uh, always about the audience, not about themselves. Uh, yeah, wonderful.
0: Brilliant. And one more. So Obama, uh, Michelle um, Barack Obama, and one more person.
1: Um, I always liked Bill Clinton's style as well of delivery. I I know he had his issues and he was a bold boy in the past, but (laughs) there was something very, very attractive about his speaking ability and about his um, focus on the individual. Um, I had the good fortune to meet him very briefly at an event one time, and I had heard that when he meets you, he makes you feel like you're the only person in the room, regardless of who you are. It might only be for 10 seconds. It might only be for 30 seconds, but for that 30 seconds, you have his full and undivided attention. And that is a common trait of great leaders. They really focus on the other person. And sure enough, when we met him in a lineup for that 30 seconds, you have his full and undivided attention. It's like a laser focus. It's very interesting. And I I thought he was excellent as well and again a great a wonderful communicator very natural
0: that's brilliant now i'm going to put all your contact details in the show notes but i just want to say thank you so much orla for for joining me today and i really appreciate your time thank you so much well, there's some great tips there from Orla Komodi. I'm so pleased that she found the time to join us on The Speaking Club. And also, I'm so glad that you found the time to listen to the show. Thank you as ever for your support. And um, I'm not going to say the usual stuff because you know it. Subscribe, share, review. If you want to connect with me on Twitter or Instagram, I'm at Sarah Archer 15 I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed the show, send me a little tweet. If you've got any ideas for topics or guests that you'd like to have on the show, then let me know that as well. There's only one thing left to say, and that's go out, have a fantastic week, grab life by the nuts, and get cracking. Thanks for listening to The Speaking Club Podcast at www.saraharchard.co.uk.